This show is brought to you in association with football charity, Football Aid. It's a charity very close to my heart and raises monies for diabetes charities. I'm on the board and at the moment we are running um, a special donation campaign. The campaign basically is to raise extra monies for Football Aid and obviously what's a very difficult time for a variety of charities in the UK and around the world. And the idea is to donate £10 by texting FOOTY, that's F-O-O-T-Y, to the text number 70085. That's texting FOOTY to 70085 to support a fantastic charity. I hope you will do. And this is only obviously for UK um, listeners. Thanks in advance. Yeah, we've been away for uh, a week or so, uh, S and I, just um, on various work commitments and stuff. And so, um, yeah, so welcome back for everyone for our our Thursday nights a little bit later than usual. And um, what S and I wanted to do was um, uh, speak to Reese, who's um, one of our favourite guys at Safaris, um, who works with a, a huge amount of my clients um, in the tax and accountancy space. And I think, you know, bearing in mind, there's been quite a lot of interesting headlines, Reese, over the past um, days, weeks and months um, on a variety of different topics. Although I don't really want to, obviously, um, it, it wasn't, wouldn't be the best to advertise this as a tax talk is the truth. But um, at the same time, there's, because uh, I, I think, I'm, I'm, yeah, uh, but at the same time, um, actually, there's loads of very interesting elements, which I, I think a lot of people um, either need to know, need to know more detail, need to understand the nuances of particular things um, and, and to take things from there. So, you know, I think there's there's a conversation on um, uh, football agents and how commission is paid. I think there's a conversation on image rights related stuff and how that works. And the the, the more general question around um, agents paying, uh, uh, players paying their agents full stop, which you and I wrote on uh, might have been over six, seven months ago now as well. So, um, Reese, just by way of background, do you want to just give everyone a bit of a, um, uh, a summary as to what you do generally um, and then whichever way you want to pick up the conversation from either um, agency perspective first or a image rights perspective, more than happy to, to start it that way around. Okay, great. Um, so I am Reese Dennell. I'm a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor uh, working at Safford Chapness, which is an accountant. Uh, there's a big sports and entertainment team within the firm looking after all sorts of people from sports and entertainment, but on the sports side specifically is where our focus. And there's some golf, some tennis, some athletes, boxers, that sort of piece. But as you might expect in the UK, a, a big part of that is dominated by football. And I think there's 80 or 90 footballers we look after now and do a, a range of stuff for some. We, we literally just do their tax returns. Um, some we're a lot more involved in image rights companies or property businesses other ventures they might have going on um so kind of across the piece we fit in on the accounting and tax side generally there's a a lawyer an agent maybe a banker involved as well and kind of form part of the wider team around a player um in terms of agency fees or image rights if we start on image rights 
first because I think that's a little bit easier to explain. Essentially, image rights is a word for the player exploiting their commercial value. So I always give the example that players are allowed to do whatever commercial deals they like, um, but they don't have to do them. So it's effectively a self-employment. And once you're self-employed, you're free to trade either personally as a sole trader or through a company, just as John Smith Plumbing can trade as John Smith personally, or you can set up John Smith Plumbing Limited and trade through a company. And given footballers' tax rates are already maxed out on the personal side, they generally tend to trade through a company um, and then not extract funds from that company whilst they're playing because they benefit from the corporation tax rate rather than paying income tax. That kind of simplistic um, point is something that I think is sort of lost sometimes in the industry in that there's people, and perhaps this is what is put in the media because it generates headlines, but there's people that like to think footballers don't pay their fair share of tax and image rights is part of that but essentially all it is is them outside of their employment having a self-employment for their commercial work and using a company to do that just as if i were a self sole trade accountant i could set up a company to trade through or a plumber builder electrician whatever industry you want to say as a self-employed person can trade through a company uh, now there's obviously a bit more nuance to it than that, but that that's the basic premise that I don't think is necessarily uh, given across in the media when they're writing a piece about how much more advantageous trading through a company for players' image rights is than if the players receive the money personally. And if I can uh, maybe just add well on the point there, Reese, as well to to things, which is. You know, I think the bit that always gets lost, and I think you've explained it really well. I mean, the way that I try and explain it um, uh, to to various parties is if you imagine that the player's image rights company is in the middle of, uh, is almost the sun, and then everything orbiting around is all of their various commercial operations, how they are sort of contracted. And then aside from that, then they've got obviously the employment contract with um, with the club. The, The thing that I think would be useful just to set out briefly, at least, is that, you know, when if and when a player is wanting to take money out of their image rights company traditionally it would usually be way of dividends or other things that you know at the moment the way that things are structured it it's it's more economical to a degree to 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 not set up a company because if you're taking monies out by way of dividends then there's obviously um, a tax charge involved there yeah, you're right, Dan. There's effectively, if you run a company, there's two layers of tax. There's the tax that the company pays on the company profits, and then there's the tax that you pay personally once you strip the money out of the company. Um, now, some of that, again, gets lost. And generally, footballers we advise don't take the money out of that company, certainly not whilst they're playing, because the dividend tax rate they're going to pay on that income is 38.1% in addition to the 19% corporation tax, which I just say puts them in a as bad, if not worse position than if they'd have earned the money personally. Now, 
if they leave the money in the in the company, they do benefit from obviously the lower tax rate until they take the money out. If you stay in the UK and wind the business up, you get to take the money out at capital gains tax rates. But again, that's no different to any other business. Likewise, you have the option to clear off to Dubai for five or six years or Monaco or wherever it might be and take the money out then. But again, that's no different to any other UK business. And the way the rules in the UK are, you can't do that without, you can't move somewhere to take money out of the company without actually moving there. Like it's this sort of thing that gets raised, not just obviously in sports and entertainment clients, but generally someone comes up with an idea of, I'll go and live in Dubai for a year and then I'll take this money out and come back. And that that's not at all how the tax rules are structured. There's lots of anti-avoidance that stops you doing that for obvious reasons, such that if, if you do want to do that, you need to move to Dubai or Cayman or Monaco or Spain or Portugal, wherever you want to move, but you actually have to move there and live there for five or six years before you can get any tax benefits from doing so, which people then obviously somewhat row back and decide they want to stay in the UK. I think as well, Reese. just to add to that, like, I'll put a disclaimer out now. I'm not a tax guy, so I'm going to look at this purely from a perspective of the media and the commercial side of things that you just mentioned. I think there's two, two points that I've always looked at it. One, the player or the athlete has to have an image that you can justify that they are to... Are, are able to have an image rights company. Like I kind of went through this with Pete recently around um, how Safri's, you guys do it quite well in the sense of evaluate, having a value to that image that we're trying to assign across and then always having that value kind of logged and stored. So if anyone does try to raise why does this person have an image rights company, we've kind of got the paperwork and evaluation to back it up. Obviously, they they have to also pay tax on that valuation that they're signing across from their personal to to their company. But then we always say that to to justify it, you have to run it like a media entity. So if you're to run it as a media corporation, you have to put time and investment into into it to try and make commercial return. So I think you can cover it off probably two or three ways from a business perspective with managing a player on that marketing commercial side of things to one okay i only do when you can justify that the person has an image that we can transfer over and then two when you do it make sure that you are actually running it like a business it's it's pointless having that entity as a shell company that only a boot deal runs through for example because we've seen those issues in spain right with a number of players at barcelona and madrid where they just have a boot deal and then they take the club money through there and then beyond that there's there's no media there's no marketing there's no commercial elements to it so i, I always look at it from that point of view in addition to everything else that you guys have said yeah you're right i think the days where the days where image rights got a bad name is where chesterfield's second choice goalkeeper is getting paid 30 percent of his total remuneration from Chesterfield, Chesterfield through an image rights company. Like that, that, that doesn't happen anymore. Those things have been closed down and those companies have been inquired into and that the right tax has been paid. Um, as Essen says, only really players that can justify, justifiably have an image are running an image rights company or certainly should be running an image rights company that HMRC 
will accept as a legitimate structure. Um, if we come on to the kind of the second stage, as Essence mentioned, is the first stage is your commercial deals that you contract personally. So you might, I don't know, do an advert, have a boot deal, um, advertise a clothing brand, whatever that might be. The second stage is where your sufficient profile of player, whereby you, your club pay you to use your image. Now, that's kind of twofold. The first is in the standard Premier League contract, um, there's a certain amount of commercial work that the player is obligated to do. Uh, I think Dan will know more than me, but I think it's something like four hours a week. And in that commercial work, you'll see, you'll know when it's that sort of deal because the players on the shoot, say it's the Liverpool Nivea example, there'll always be at least three players involved rather than one person specifically. Now, that doesn't always suit the club's needs in that if you're, say, Tottenham, for example, they would want to use Harry Kane a lot more than someone else who's on the standard contract and therefore they might contract with Harry Kane as image rights, whether that's held personally or through a company, to exploit that further. Um, the second part of that, and the way I generally explain this to players, parents, agents, whoever it might be, is that the clubs are paying for the use of your image, but they're also paying for the restriction that the image rights agreement puts on you. So if we use Manchester United, an example, sponsored by Chevrolet and... Bruno Fernandes gets an offer from Audi for 500 grand to be the face of Audi in Europe, for example. Now, Bruno Fernandes is probably not allowed to do that endorsement because of his association with Man United and because of Man United's partnership with Chevrolet, which puts Bruno Fernandes £500,000 out of pocket. That is partly what the club are paying image rights for, both the use of your image and your time generally in doing commercial shoots, partnership stuff, whatever it might be, but also the restriction that they are placing on your self, self-employment as a commercial entity by virtue of you having to work with the club's partners on certain things and being restricted as to what deals you can sign personally because of partnerships that the club have. And and Reese, if I can just and, and Essen um, knows this on some of the the deals that we've worked on all together is you know it's exactly right. There's those positive obligations and negative obligations which are very valuable to to club um, and to particular brands as well. That brands will have that whenever you're entering into endorsement or ambassadorial stuff more more generally and. Um, I think some of my uh, most difficult negotiations sometimes are those carve-out provisions around are there particular categories um, that agent and player want to be able to um, ensure aren't covered by particular agreements if it's a club deal or if it's a, a boot deal or if it's another type of ambassadorial deal, how long they last for. Um, and, you know, there are some clubs who will take up more of those rights so that actually there isn't that much autonomous behaviour that, um, you know, players' image rights companies can an activity they can look for because lots are uh, lots are covered by the um the can be the the um the club image rights deal so 
just just Reese before I turn to before we turn to um agents and tax um you touched on the the the, contra- the the previous controversy on the image right side. Would you say that the main controversy had, in the past, and summarising very briefly, had been, um, number one, um, the the proportion of the overall remuneration to the player and the player's image rights company being skewed more towards the image rights company of the total amount that the the club was paying. Um, and then, um, you know, the, the effective use or non-use of the player's image that then HMRC would have then picked up on previously as the basis for um, going b- behind the agreement, if there actually was even an agreement in place, etc. Is there anything else alongside those two elements that you've seen previously that have sort of perked um, HMRC's interest? Yeah, there's, there's two bits. Like the first bit is the people who can't justify any split um the Chessfield sort of second keeper example that I, I talked about hmrc addressed the um split of remuneration between image rights and playing to an extent about five years ago so i want to say 15 16 around there there was a three-year agreement between uh, football effectively and HMRC as to what percentage of remuneration could be image rights and that was that 20% of the image rights the image rights had to be 20% of the salary effectively so in total around 15% of your total remuneration package could be image rights and then there was also a club cap whereby a certain percentage of your commercial revenue could be all you're paying out in image rights. And that that worked really well. That agreement's now stopped. HMRC haven't rolled that forward, but generally that's followed, those parameters have followed. And I think it, it works pretty well. Um, obviously, the bigger image you have, the more image rights you can command. But generally, even if you're talking a, a Messi-Ronaldo, their image as a result of how good they are at football so those percentages still work the only examples i can think of where your image significantly is significantly different to perhaps your value as a player is a late career you know david beckham zlatan um potentially someone like jisung park when he was at manchester united and the value he had commercially for them in asia arguably was more than 20% of of his value as a player. Um, but generally, those parameters are stuck to. The only bit of contention now, really, on the, the image rights stuff we see is UK and overseas. Um, generally, if you have a UK image rights company that's been set up properly, HMRC are pretty happy. Uh, if you're running a commercial entity, there's... And most players do just have a UK setup. There's still some historic non-UK splits. So you might have of your image, I don't know, 75% of it paid to a UK company for your UK image and 25% paid overseas. HMRC don't really like that for obvious reasons. Um, I would say there's a commercial justification there with the worldwide nature of the Premier League and how many players you see on billboards in Asia, Africa, America, wherever you go. Um, 
but that's the sort of bone of contention with image rights at the moment. But it's, yeah, you're right, it's nowhere near as big an issue as it was when every man and his dog had an image rights company because they thought it was a clever way of, uh, of avoiding tax and, and clubs were facilitating payments to image rights companies of people who they had no intention of really using their image. So hopefully we haven't um, hurt everyone's brains so far on the uh, on the image rights and tax side of things. And, and Reese, thanks for um, the sort of clarity on on that point. I'll just sort of get everybody in the mood ready to ask um, some questions as we go, because obviously I, I think the, the the best clubhouse sessions that we do are always ones with um, yeah with people asking questions and raising hands and debating particular points and um, and getting into the nuances. Um, but before we we do that, and we'll, hopefully we'll we'll get some good questions as well. Well, um, if we can turn to the um, the agent side of things, um, because you know um, we we always get the same uh, discussion and debate, which actually I think came out maybe a week or so ago, wasn't it, Reese? About um, the amount of um, agents commission that clubs pay on behalf of uh, of players, and we've seen large amounts being paid over the last um, well um, announced over the last uh, week or so. And in turn, um, HMRC have come out with some um, guidance um, that you wrote an interest uh, that, that Safri's did a press release for recently um, in relation to um, HMRC's um, somewhat unease at particular splits between um, clubs paying for player services and clubs paying for club services um, and those services um, and that commission going to usually the players um, agent. So do you, do you want to, if you're able to, uh, I know you probably talked about this a lot recently, but um, just maybe set out the, the landscape of where we currently are in terms of um, clubs paying um, players agents and, um, and, and where HMRC currently are w- w- with that and what it means? Yeah, of course. Um, so if I just give you a bit of background, back in kind of 2010, 2011, it was agreed that there are essentially three ways in which an agent can work. He can work solely on behalf of a player, uh, solely on behalf of a club in signing a player or renegotiating a player's contract, or more commonly, the agent is deemed to be working on behalf of both club and player. They are helping the player get a good deal, but they're also helping that club sign that player or negotiating a contract with that player. Um, HMRC decided that where there was dual representation, i.e. the agent was working on behalf of both the player and the club, effectively the services split, the agency fee split would be split 50-50. So 50% of it would be deemed for club services and paid by the club. The other 50% would be deemed for player services and paid by the club but on half of on behalf of the player, which the player is then taxed on. Now, HMRC over the last couple of years have been looking into how that split is done. And their view is that people are using club-only services when it's club-only services, but when it's player-only services, typically people are saying it's dual representation to effectively cut players' tax bills in half. Um, Now, what HMRC have done to try and address that is release some new guidance that says we don't accept a default split. So if there is dual representation, 
clubs, agents, players now need to show what percentage of that work was on behalf of the club, i.e. not taxable on the player, and what percentage of their work was on behalf of the player, i.e. the player pays tax on the amount that the club pays to the agent. Um, a big part of the guidance, and without going into too much detail, is the the rep contract that a player has um, with their agent. If they've agreed to pay their agent 5% of their salary, HMRC wants to see, see that at least 5% of their salary is being included as a benefit for the, the fee that the club have paid to the agent on behalf of the player. I'm going to ask one very obvious question, Reese, and, and yes, sorry, I'm monopolising the, the questions. Feel free to jump in when you need it is. Um, and I'm sure it's something you raised with uh, HMRC, but what's there then to stop? Um, I know agents in a funny way are uh, arguing this point the other way around with FIFA at the moment around commission caps. But in that instance, then, Reese, what's there to stop an agent saying, well, don't worry, I'm just going to charge you 1% um, in the representation contract. Uh, but if I can get more from the club, then I will do. And I'll just then make sure that the 1% is for player services, the amount that the player's taxed on, and the rest is then club services, which then you don't have to pay any tax on and then you reduces your liability? Yeah, it's kind of why the second half of the guidance kicks in. So the rep contract is their first indicator of risk, as they call it, i.e. if you've got an amount on your P11D that's below what's due on your rep contract. The second part is justifying the fee. So if we said on that example the player was due to pay the agent 1%. If the agent receives 10%, you're effectively saying that the agent's done nine times more work for the club or the club has derived nine times the value of that agent's work than the player has. And then you'd be asked to justify that split um, in a tax inquiry. The, the kind of the bit that's a bit... <sighs> awkward for one of a better word with this is it's not really a tax point um it's dressed up as tax but there's no doubt that where an agent is paid by a club on behalf of a player that is taxable on the player no one's disputing that the the difference of opinion potentially with these new rules is how do you show that it's 63% 63% club, 37% player, or 17% club, 83% player, who makes that split? And ultimately, if you're arguing with HMRC about that down the line, is that really a, an issue for a tax tribunal? Or is it a split of services that have been undertaken Um it doesn't really give any clarity and I think the lack of clarity is the big concern with the new rules. The 50-50 was kind of brought in to give clarity in that some cases will be 80% club, 20% player, some will be the other way around, but everything will come out in the wash for one of a better phrase. HMRC, you think that's been manipulated, but now, now we're in a position where no one really knows or clubs and agents have to get together on a deal and and try and decipher where that split is. I think the rep contract will be useful in that, but if you've got a 5% rep contract, say as standard and the agent's getting paid 20%, 
is it as clean cut as saying 15% is club side? Potentially, but that that doesn't really give HMRC the answer they wanted because that would have been split 10 and 10 before and, and now 15% club side. So it doesn't necessarily raise the tax revenue that they think it's going to, I don't think. Yep, no, I, I, I completely see that. And it sounds like um, from the guidance and reading your notes as well that you know, even more so now, keeping pretty detailed records of phone conversations, of email traffic, of um, text messages and WhatsApps and um, meetings and everything else that goes on in the build-up during and uh, on on the day of transactions actually going to be very it's be pretty vital for when then I presume at some point HMRC HMRC come knocking on a few test matters or particular things that crop up in order to demonstrate that. At the very least, the 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 fifty fifty split for player and and club um, services is round about what um, uh, what everybody thinks. Otherwise, um, it, it feels like it might get a bit of messy. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Certainly, um, essentially everything an agent does written down um, is effectively what HMRC want. Whether that's Possible. I know clubs are very concerned about the impact on their finance department, legal department, if that every time someone from the club speaks to an intermediary about the possibility of signing anyone, they need to document that, that phone call or that face-to-face meeting or whatever that might be. That's a huge burden on on the club as well as on the player to keep those records. The other kind of key bit with HMRC that we've been trying to get across in lots of the guidance kind of talks about time spent or meetings had or calls had when actually the point we've been trying to get across is that the commercial value of what they're doing. If, if Man City signed Lionel Messi this summer, whether that deal has taken three months or three hours, the agent is being paid for sourcing the sourcing the player rather than being paid because he's worked for the club for three months. Um, I used an umbrella example the other week, which I quite like, in that if it's, say, the January window, and you're in January, it's hammering down outside, you've tried to buy five umbrellas, you can't buy an umbrella until the summer if you don't buy one today, and the guy appears that says he can find you an umbrella whether that umbrella is worth £10 or £20, you're probably willing to pay him a decent fee for sourcing you an umbrella so you don't get wet for the rest of of the winter. And that, to a degree, is sort of what happens in the transfer window on deadline day, in that if you have a striker or you're looking for a striker or whatever position you think you need to stay in the Premier League and someone comes and says, I've got one that I can help you sign you're not necessarily paying for the services per hour that they're providing to you. You're, you're paying them a fee, commission or otherwise, um, for sourcing that, that asset that you need to see you through the next six months. Dan, I've got a question for you, right? So you see, as Reese was saying there, you've got to document all these things. One, how does that fit from a data privacy and kind of storing that data type situation, right? And then two, that's inevitably going to leak. So that's, 
either way, net, 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 I can just see this being a disaster for either the club because the club didn't sign the player. How many times do we see our club took too long or they, they tried haggling over two million and they lost on X player and now that X player is worth 10 times that amount? Or flip reversal to it, you always see stories about agents, uh, he asked for this much or she asked for that much, whatever it might be. That's just going to end up in a bit of a media frenzy, isn't it? Well, uh, I'm two things there. I'm completely with Reese on this point, which is um, agents aren't paid by the hour to do by the hour things. That's not their value. Their value is in the access and deal making and the, the, their ability to get a deal over the line. It's sometimes the same with lawyers. Like I sometimes think I'm paid by the hour and maybe I'll think this way anyway, but I'm more valuable than that to some ways because the hour that I might spend on a particular thing is 15 years of worth of my training and negotiating and everything that, that goes with it. Now, I'm not comparing myself to a Messi's agent, far from it, but that I think Reese's point is very valid, which is um, I think um, value is much greater indicator than volume sometimes. Um, and I think that's something to consider. I think on the whole... Um, papering point and data and access and leaking and that type of thing. It's just, you know, it feels like um, a paper chase to a degree, which is justify, 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 justify. And if you've got enough meetings or if you've done enough phone calls or you've done something which shows that you managed to bring club services on which led to this then you're frantically looking for the 17 different things that you did but the truth is is that there can be real value in one phone call you make to the club um, that is effectively then going to pay you commission club side by saying I can get you the player for this amount of money and you know the club values so greatly those conversations from people that they know will deliver exactly as you said Reese, last day of the window when something is necessary or even not necessarily last day of window so I, I think that the that clubs don't mind working with agents when they know and they understand the value of a good agent when they know that when something and someone says something that they can deliver it and actually I think it's that delivery is the point rather than the box ticking exercise of x amount of um, meetings minutes whatsapp notes and um, and voice calls that, that demonstrate the value that an agent brings to either side of the deal your point, Essence, come up on a couple of, as Dan suggested, we've been speaking to plenty of people about this and kind of what best practice looks like moving forward. Um, and from a club side, chats about whether the first time you speak to an agent about signing a certain person, there should be some sort of intent letter or agreement there. But as you say, if... I don't know, say United are the most obvious example because they're listed and perhaps they have to share more information than than others or something's leaked. If if they come out and say they had the intention to sign Jadon Sancho last summer, for example, and that intent was declared or noted on the 10th of April 2020 and then nothing happened, that's not a great look for the club um, in terms of their fans, whilst it might be best practice. Well, Reese, the other point as well, just very briefly, is it's it's a potential tapping up issue. Is the truth as well? So you know you're potentially breaching the 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 national association regulations um, by trying to ensure tax compliance, which is an interesting um, yeah balancing act. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. 
Um, S, was anything else particular? Otherwise, I want to make sure I open it up to people. There's, there's, there's loads of good people in the audience that um, have lots of experience on these type of things. But S, anything particularly to add? No, 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 all good from my end. Um, the only thing I would add, and I'm sure we'll get to this on the audience, is like the thing that frustrates us is that you might have seen the Times article uh, that came out this week, HMRC clamped down on footballers avoiding tax. And it's so hard to get the message across that, and certainly don't expect the wider public to feel sorry for footballers who are getting paid obviously millions of pounds of tax, but that that's not what this is. It's a different way of attributing services between a club and an agent. Yes, it impacts on the, the player's tax bill, um, but so much of the media coverage you see is and the comments certainly are classic footballers not paying tax or agents are terrible people. I don't know why we bother with them. They should be out of the game. Um, and generally, the two themes you see in the media, as much as we try and shout about what the actual realities are of what, what are happening. I might just mention one point as well there, Reese, which is, um, you know, and I know you see it as well a lot, Um but, you know, it, it's a very easy thing to do when a foreign agent comes to the UK with a player um, and has managed to do a deal into a UK club. And if they if they just haven't taken UK tax advice, um, don't understand the structure of a dual representation contract and don't and, you know, the agent thinks and tells the player that don't worry, club's going to pay me and you've got no liability. And then a bit of time down the line, HMRC come calling for 47 percent of the, the taxable benefit on the on the player services. You know, I, I we get this regularly where you know there's there's real issues that the player hasn't any idea about that being a liability. That you know, it obviously makes for difficult relationships and conversations with the agent as a result. And in a way, that's not that's not really a, a straightforward one of oh, he just hasn't he hasn't paid the right amount of tax or whatever else it might be because that's on the basis of his annual return that if he hasn't got tax advice, wouldn't probably be aware of. So. You know, th- th- there's so much that could potentially fall between the cracks, and and that's obviously when you guys come in. Yeah, there, there's a, and it sort of depends where you're coming from. So without going massively taxi and boring everyone, in Germany, players are allowed to deduct the benefit or their payments to their agent as an expense. So while you might have a benefit on your tax return, the expense comes in nets off. Um, if people come from a country where that's the setup. You're right, they assume there's there's no trouble. In the UK, if you're an employed person, you can't deduct the costs of, of having an agent and therefore you're obviously taxable on on that benefit. But you're right, it's uh I would say getting a getting a good tax advisor when someone comes particularly comes across the country is, is pretty important because it's an easy way to fall out with a player eighteen months into their contract when they've got a tax bill for 50, 100, 200, 300 grand, whatever it might be, um, that the agent hasn't, hasn't told them about. And I think the other uh, point there, Reese, as well, is that what, what we've seen on a number of deals, or I've seen on some deals and tried to negotiate as well, is, um, you know, a gross-up clause so that, 
you know, the a savvy agent along with, um, you know, you guys and others will have um, tried to negotiate a clause when, a, you know, a big player is coming into the country, which is effectively an amount payable uh, around the time that potentially tax is due for that amount that um, is effectively a, a calculated bonus for that for that amount. Now, obviously, that's not what a lot of clubs will do because that's another big amount that would have to be potentially paid out. But if you're in a strong negotiation position, then, um, you know, we've seen those types of bonuses being included in um, in contracts to to negate that that tax obligation not negate it but to, uh, to to smooth it yeah to cover the tax that's paid and again this this new guidance somewhat complicates that because there's no certainty as to the amount that's put on your p11d is actually going to be the amount that ultimately hmrc wants to tax so it complicates lots of things you say it with a wry sigh, which I can, uh, which I can um, imagine. Well, look, um, yeah, we're we're sort of at the stage where anyone put their hands up, ask a couple of questions, anything particular that um, that springs to mind more generally. Um, I yeah, I think you know the, the these types of things for foreign um, agents especially become really important, um, and you know that's why we're always I'm always keen to explain why it's important to get you know tax advisors. Um, you know, in investment advisors around them, lawyers, accountants generally, and and obviously for Essen and be engaged what Essen does on the commercial, brand, social, and off field side is um is fantastic, and I've seen that firsthand. Um, yeah, pretty important, right? We've got someone. Uh, yep. So, um, Sebastian. Uh, okay. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Riz. Uh, Sebastian here from Cresta in Brussels. Thank you for uh, this very interesting topic. Um, I I just had a, a question because obviously we also saw the news here and um, being more active on the player side um, the question that that pops up to 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 our mind is of course um, how to protect the player uh, duly in a rep agreement which uh, often or might have been signed uh, well before uh, knowing that it is the player who is going to be impacted if uh, HMRC disputes the split as it has been made and for instance if it reduces uh, the club service part and deems that actually there should have been a bigger player service part declared um, how, what, what would be your your thought on, on how to protect the player there I'm sorry if this is too technical but we we see this as a, as a major shift and having an impact on, on the player so uh, happy to hear your, your thoughts on that thank you very much Rhys, do you want to go first, right? And I can I can give a few bits, or you're happy for me to lead? Uh, yeah, I'll go first, and then I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Actually, we've kind of been thinking about what best practice looks like on this, and I think there's something that needs to be essentially, if say a player moves this summer, that that benefit will be in their 2021-2022 tax bill, tax payable January 2023. Typically, HMRC aren't very quick at raising an inquiry, so that might come through December 23, January 24. So by the time you're talking about it in any substance, you're probably three years after the actual deal has happened. Now, if you get your documentation um, apportionment, whether that's done by the club and the agent, whether there's an independent party in there to help that and to 
take information that the club have from their negotiations and the club, the information that the agent has from their part, because that might be two different things. There might be five, six mm-hmm. clubs interested and the agent therefore knows that actually I can get 50 grand a week from five or six different clubs. So the element of club services is heightened because to, for him to sign for that one particular club obviously over over the other four or five it is a bigger deal and the agent's helping that um i think if you've got a suite of documents that outlines how the deal was done the commercial rationale for the club what the agent did and you have that this summer it's then quite difficult for hmrc to come three years later and say that that's not what happened um so i think the documentation piece and the rationale behind the split is going to be quite key and that's something obviously i mean the guidance only came out last week but that's something we're Mm -hmm. thinking about um what we do and obviously the the legal side of things dan as well the um the tripartite i think is going to be pretty key in in all of this I completely agree, Rhys and um, and Sebastian. One of the things that we've been thinking about, um, and again, it complicates things to a degree, is in the tripartite agreement between player, club, and agent for player services and club services. Usually, there is a indemnity in favour of the club, saying um, in relation to the tax payments that if. Um, inquiries occur and then different tax payments might be required that then usually player will indemnify the club against those types of investigations which I always try and push back with generally but um, also you know what what I tried to do on one deal um, which wasn't unfortunately successful was to put a reverse indemnity in um, which said that because the club didn't want to move with their variation of percentage of player services and club services, um, that if there was an investigation subsequently which put more on the player services, that then the player would have to pay potentially more tax on after the investigation happened, that um, the club would help pay effectively because they weren't wanting to move on particular things. Now, as you can imagine, uh, wasn't the easiest negotiation yeah. to try and put on. But, you know, when a, when a player in a are in a stronger negotiation position and the split is an unusual non unusual split which isn't 50 50 i agree i think the two things are make sure you get someone like safri is involved to make sure that everything is being documented to try and get that 50 50 or whatever it might be but secondly to try and get some protection in that uh, document agreement somehow so that first you're not indemnifying the club against any potential issues um and that there's some type of li- limitation liability um limitation um and secondly that the the player can have some um control over that investigation that might happen at HMRC if there's something that happens at the club so that the club aren't just paying out uh, and then claiming against the player by way of indemnity later down the line okay thank you that's uh, that's really helpful just one one maybe stupid question uh under those new guidelines uh i assume there is no such thing as once the transaction is being closed, as being able to submit evidence at that point to HMRC and to get some kind of a 
clearing clearance or ruling or I don't know how you could call it. I assume that doesn't exist that possibility, so that you would rule out and not discussion later on. The only thing I would say, Sebastian, on one particular thing there is sometimes um, uh, the club service element will be for ongoing services. So that's something that we're we're seeing quite a bit in the tripartite agreements, which is, you know, even after the agreement is actually signed and sealed, the the intermediary, the player intermediary has still got further club services to um, adhere to. Um, And that in a way can be helpful because then you can demonstrate the value, time and effort or whatever that you are adhering to in order for um, to to justify the the amount still. Yeah, I'll come back again. I think that it. The further services is something HMRC look at because they think at the moment they those aren't done, um, whether that's true or not. So I think them being more specific and them being performed will be pretty important. Um, back on your club agreement type scenario, Sebastian, HMRC won't agree anything. The only thing that a club or two do, and it very much depends on their relationship with their own kind of corporate relationship manager at HMRC is that a couple of the clubs already effectively put in a pack of what they've done in each transfer window and they send it to to HMRC but only for their reference not for any sort of not for any sort of agreement ahead of time okay thank you very much we've got Ose who's uh, who's joining the, the conversation as well uh, good evening. Thank you so much, uh, Daniel, Eshin, and Reese for this um, for this session. Um, yeah, a couple of questions um, from me. Um, in terms of you talked about when a player wants to strip strip the money out of um, of the company, in terms of when he set up um, the image rights and things, and you talked about how some people go and live in Dubai or Monaco for six years so they can get away with taking the money out without paying tax on it. But if somebody wants to stay in the UK, when is the right time to um, strip that that money out um, in terms of paying tax on it? And um, the other question was in terms of what, what can you do to differentiate between player services and club services? Like, um, what points can you bring in terms of okay, no, the percentage is more on the club side or more on the player services side. Uh, Thanks so much. Yeah, so on the taking the money out of a company, um, two options really. When the trade ends, um, I potentially on the end of a career, you can wind the company up and get capital gains tax rates um, for the cessation of a company. So at the moment, you would pay 10% capital gains tax for the first million pounds of value you extract and then 20% capital gains tax thereafter, which is obviously a lot better than paying 38% dividends for taking the money out generally whilst the player is playing. Um, The other option is if you're talking a player in the UK, staying in the UK, what they might do is use their basic rate tax bands for the next 10, 15 years and just extract that money, maybe 50,000 a year for the next 10 or 15 years until that money's come out. But once you've stopped playing football, obviously your marginal tax rate drops because your other income is nowhere near as high. Um, 
Yeah, so it'll be yeah, a situation, situation specific uh, again in that, say, for example, someone has a year left on their contract, they're worth £20 million, the player is on, I don't know, say, 50 grand a week. They can probably go and get 50 grand a week anywhere they want. Um, whereas the club are a year away from losing an asset that's worth £20 million. So that's the sort of example where the justification of club services is potentially higher Um and it'll be a commercial value that the club plays on it. But if they pay an agent, I don't know, two, three million pounds for effectively securing a 20 million pound asset for the next five years, which they might have lost for free if his contract runs up, I would argue that that, that is a, a club services skewed um, deal. Um player services potentially the flip side of that is where perhaps there's only one option of club no one's interested um and you're trying to get a player maybe their last deal um at a club but to an extent clubs don't sign players that they don't want so there's an argument really that every deal has an element of club service because otherwise the club wouldn't wouldn't sign the player um unless they the club were using their own agent and the player was using a separate agent then obviously the, the split's pretty clear on which one is working for a player and which one's working for a club but where there's only one agent involved the club obviously wants to sign the player or re-sign the player or extend their contract or whatever that might be so to an extent, I would argue there's always going to be an element of, of club services. Um, effectively, how important it is for the club and the commercial rationale is what I would think um, skews things towards club services. HRC might think that it's how many meetings they attend or how many hours they spend at the training ground talking to people, but that that's the message we're we're trying to get across. Thanks for the question, Jose. Really, um, yeah, really interesting. Hope that's answered uh, answered your points. Yeah, that's perfect. Thank you so much. Perfect. So um, I think we're almost there um, in terms of the hour. Hopefully, people have found it um, of value and use. Um, Reese, um, on behalf of SNI, thanks um, for for making tax sound as um, interesting as possible. And I say that quite often, um, but you know, I think actually for um, people on the the football side of things, I think that you know people see a transfer happen or a boot deal occur, and and you know for a lot of people, sometimes whenever I'm speaking to players and, and certain agents and family members as well, the tax side of things is the most critical, you know, because it's important to get you know everything in a line uh, and put uh, in its right place so that everyone understands the the rules of the game and um yeah it's it's great when we have you guys on board on a lot of the stuff that we do because you know it makes my uh, rest rests my mind at ease a little bit more than uh, than than otherwise no worries thanks for having me yeah it's um taxes 
not something people want to talk about until they inexplicably have to pay it. And then people rather quickly uh, get a lot more interested, um, which is, is sort of nice, but we'd rather not get to that point. We'd rather have everyone know what's going on from the outset. No, it's wicked. Will um, S, anything more to add? No, no, no. Again, like, I always say this to Dan, but the help that a lawyer or an accountant can actually give you lets you sleep easy or anything. But as soon as we know something that's coming our way, we know we're covered. So literally, you don't even have one sense of panic in us. We just know that they're fishing around for no reason. Agreed. No, it's really good. You, you broke up a tiny bit, S, but I think we got the measure, which is, you know, um, lawyers and uh, accountants are absolutely essential. And um, thank you for the sponsored content from Sheridan's and Safari's. Much appreciated. <laughs> You're welcome. The, I want a discount next time. <laughs> the point S raises about the fishing is absolutely true. Like HMRC's investigation into football is not in any way specific. They're looking at a wide, wide range of players crudely because there's enough money in football that if they investigate 10 players and they find something on one that that's a decent return on the investment of time for them you, you'll see on their their latest guidance whilst rugby and cricket work exactly the same the guidance is specifically related to football um and their investigation into football which i'll let people make their own conclusions on no, I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, um, yeah, no, great for um, great for the hour session. Um, Reese, pleasure to chat um, as always. S, great to great um, um, yeah to have everyone as usual. And um, yeah, hopefully, we, well, we have got another session planned for next Thursday. Um, speakers to be announced, and um, looking forward to hearing from everybody there. Cool, perfect. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Jess. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok and Instagram at Football Law, read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website, danielg.com forward slash blogs. Please do subscribe to the Dundeal Football Podcast, like, share and tag me. If you like the content, if not my voice, you'll probably also like my book Dundeal, an insider's guide to football contracts, multi-million pound transfers and Premier League big business a bit of a mouthful. It's available to buy in hard copy, digitally and via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word and go to 13shop.co.uk. That's 13shop.co.uk. Thanks for listening.